Are we on? testing. Ooh, okay. We're very excited to be able to partner with your church in that effort and praying that the Lord will have a good turnout for us. I know the gospel will be preached with clarity and with passion and pray that souls will be saved and changed for the glory of God. And God is doing a great work right here in your city and here in your church. And we're thankful to have a small part in that in one Sunday uh, here at your church and, and hope that we'll get to know you a little bit better. Please do stop by the table. We'll all be standing out there after the service. We would love to shake your hands, get to know you a little bit better and spend some time talking. Uh, with you after the service. Well, we're here this morning uh, primarily to be challenged and changed and shaped by the Word of God. I hope you're aware that every time you come to church, it's not just a social club gathering. It's not just an opportunity to see friends. It's not a chance to be entertained. No, no, folks, we are here today to hear from heaven. And praise God, we have the word of God to hold in our laps, to be challenged, to be shaped. It is our map. It is our instructions. And our lives should be consumed with knowing the word of God and loving the word of God. And we're looking at a text of scripture this morning in Philippians 3 that Southland really bases our whole uh, ministry philosophy off of. As a matter of fact, our theme verse for our camp is found in the text that we're going to look at this morning in Philippians 3 in verse 10. And you'll know if you've been in church for any length of time about this letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, that it is a very personable letter. Paul gives gratitude and rejoicing and thanksgiving for the church, which has bestowed on him a wonderful gift, a financial blessing. He writes this letter not to correct them, not necessarily just to instruct them, although he does, but to reflect on his thanksgiving and his joy. You remember what he says, I thank God upon all remembrance of you. This was Paul's attitude towards the church. And in doing so, Paul really gives a heart, he gives his heart in this letter to the church at Philippi, his heartbeat for ministry. And in Philippians 3, we have Paul's testimony of how he was converted gloriously on that road to Damascus, how he was changed through and through. And I want us to consider that transformation, that change that God wrought in Paul's heart many, many years ago, and how in similar ways God has transformed us and is transforming us in the same way. Notice down in the text in verse 1 of Philippians Chapter 3, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Huge theme of Philippians, we know. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul says there's a lot of people who are trusting their good works, their religiosity for salvation. But if there was anybody in all of Israel that could say that, Paul surely could say that, and he's going to prove that. Verse 5, 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And notice verse 7 and this transformation that takes place. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Watch this. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And would you just read out loud with me this morning, Philippians 3 and verse 10. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. This morning, I'd like us to consider and ask ourselves this question. What is my primary pursuit? What is my primary pursuit? You know, there are a lot of things in this world that a lot of people enjoy pursuing. Some people like to pursue hunting. Do we have any hunters out there? People like to hunt. How about fishing? Any fishermen out there? All right. People like to pursue shopping. Any of the ladies out there like to shop? Okay. I like to shop. I like to deal shop. As a matter of fact, I like to pursue good deals at Goodwill. I'm a big thrifter. All right. It's really fun. I also love to pursue sports. And I know a lot of people are this way. Love the game of basketball. I love the game of football. I love the game of tennis. But recently, and really in my college years, I began to pursue the game of golf. Are there any other golfers out here this morning? Okay, anybody? Oh, there's one. Okay, fellow golfer. Now I get, you know, as a young guy, it's not like the most, you know, physically taxing sport, unless you're walking, okay. But back in college, I, my brother and I really started to get into the game of golf. I mean, so we went out, we bought all the merchandise, we got the nice looking polos, we got the nice looking pants, we got the golf belt, the golf hat, the golf clip, we got the nice golf bag, we got all the nice golf balls, which by the way, cost way too much money, okay. I, all of mine just go in the lake and I'm spending $1.25 on each golf ball. It's a complete waste of money. But anyway, we buy the golf balls and my brother and I began to pursue this sport of golf. And it was interesting to me that as we began to pursue this sport and get to know the sport and start to play the sport, man, it was an all-encompassing pursuit. I mean, it, it took up space in our minds. It took up space in our conversation. It took up space surely in our time at college. Man, we would go to our last class of the day at choir and we would dip out of there and go play golf in the afternoons. It was an awesome way to, to go through the college years. We loved the game of golf. Hey, all I'm trying to illustrate is that when we pursue something as human beings, a lot of times, man, we are all into pursuing what we love. We are all about thinking about and acting on and willingly pouring out the cash into hobbies and events that we love to think about. But friends, this morning, I'm here to tell you very boldly and very clearly that as believers, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be no greater pursuit in our lives than what we read about here in Paul's life and his pursuit of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about knowing him in salvation, although we'll talk about that in just a moment because that is very important. But I'm talking about an ongoing knowing here that as we grow in our faith and we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is something that is constantly on our mind, that is constantly part of our lives. Notice in the text what Paul says in verse 7, what was gained to me, I, I counted all else but lost. I counted that thing which was special to me, which was important. And in this case, it was his religiosity. 
It was the check mark of religion. He said, I set that aside and I said, that's lost so I could know Christ. And notice in verse 8, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, I'm going to set everything else aside. This is my primary pursuit to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, in verse 10, that I may know him. This was Paul's mission. This was Paul's aim in life. And I want us to consider really what this knowing, what this process looks like by examining verse 10 in this one simple phrase that I may know him. And very quickly this morning, would we be challenged and confronted with the truths of scripture so that we would not walk out of this place with the same depth of knowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ, with the same excitement and and zeal about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But in our hearts this morning as believers, we would say, yes, this is the savior I long to know. This is the Christ that I will walk out of these doors on this Sunday afternoon and pursue with my whole being, pursue with my time, pursue with my finances, pursue with my mind above all things else. So it's important, first of all, to note what this knowing really means. When we think of the word to know, maybe there are some pictures that conjure up in your mind of maybe a a student sitting in a lecture hall at a university or a college, right? They're sitting there and they're on their computer. They're taking notes, maybe, you know, playing their video games and passively receiving the knowledge. They are gaining knowledge. And that's great for a time, but that's not the type of knowledge that we're talking about here in Philippians chapter 3. It is not a knowledge that simply washes over our minds on a Sunday morning service like this. No, no, this is knowledge that changes everything. This is knowledge that we hear and understand and we walk out of these doors and we live. It is experiential knowledge. So lest we think this morning that, well, all right, sweet, just show up to church on Sunday, show up to Sunday school, come to the evening service, be here on Wednesday night, and by osmosis, man, I just hope I catch the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in knowing him. No, 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 that is not what we are talking about this morning. We are talking about a life who is all consumed with knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just knowing him intellectually, but knowing him experientially taking his life and learning from his life and then applying it to our own lives. What did Jesus Christ say? Any man will come after me, let him just sit in the classroom and kind of just hear my words. No, no, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. This is the call of the disciple. This is the call to every believer here this morning to know the Lord Jesus Christ in an experiential way. So notice in this text, in this simple phrase, that I may know him. First of all, note, it is a personal pursuit. This is a personal pursuit. Paul says that I may know him. That I may know Jesus Christ. I count all things but loss. I want to win Christ. I press toward the mark. Paul is using personal pronouns in this text to emphasize the fact that, well, Paul couldn't decide for the church at Philippi if they were going to know Christ or not. Paul couldn't decide for Timothy For Titus, for the other men that he was ministering with, he he couldn't decide that for them. But he he says in this text, no, 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 this is my goal. This is my aim. And we ought to look at the example of the Apostle Paul this morning and understand this pursuit, if, if we as God's people would have it, it's got to be a personal pursuit. Could you say this with confidence that I may know him? Not that my church would know him. Not that my family would know him. Not that my school would know him, but that I personally would have this as my primary pursuit in life. You know, a lot of young people come to our Christian camp. 
And every summer they're there for a week and man, they make a great show and they make great decisions and boy, they go home and now the rubber meets the road and the question is, will this continue to be their personal pursuit? When no one else is watching, when the speaker's not there to preach the word of God to them, is knowing Christ going to be their personal pursuit? You remember when Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, the most religious people of the day, people that knew a lot about the Messiah, people who had all of the intellectual faculties to say, here's what the Messiah is going to be, here's what the Messiah is, and then they see him and they, they say, this, this can't be the Messiah. And in Matthew 23, Jesus pins these leaders, quote unquote, religious leaders to the wall. He says, you hypocrites, you make a great show of religion. Man, you dress up for Sabbath. You strain out the nap, but Jesus says you're swallowing the camel. I mean, you're paying attention to the minutest things in front of everybody else, but, and you're praising God that you're not like the poor people, but look at you, you hypocrites. It's not personal. Jesus said, well, you draw nigh me with your lips, but your, your heart is far from me. And isn't this reflective of American Christianity today? Boy, we make a great show on a Sunday morning. We know how to dress up and play the part, but friends... This is not a personal walk with God. It's got to be personal. This has to be something that we wake up on Monday morning and, and is just as real to us as being in a church pew on a Sunday morning like this. Is it real to you? Is this a personal pursuit? But notice Paul goes on in this, that I, personal, may know him. Now, the construction of this word know is, is fascinating, and it's really important to understand. It's a type of verb that describes not just an action that takes place in the past, not just, well, I did know him in the past. It's not an action that Paul is describing as, in this present moment, I want to know Christ. And it's not just a future tense, like, well, in the future, I'm going to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually all three of them combined together. And this is so cool because we understand from this that not only is this a personal pursuit, but it's also a perpetual pursuit. That is to say, it is not something that's going to take place just yesterday, just today, and tomorrow, but it ought to be something that in our lives takes place on an ongoing basis. It's perpetual. You know, there are some things in life that I'm glad we do perpetually. I'm glad, for one, that we are breathing perpetually this morning. Anybody else up with me? Okay. If you're not breathing perpetually, you might want to slip to the back of the auditorium this morning and find some help, all right? That's really important. Hey, I'm glad we sleep perpetually. Anybody else with me on that? Amen. Man, it's awesome that every day we go to sleep at the end of the day, and through the night we get good rest, we get re-energized, and the next morning we wake up, and there are things that we do every day that are perpetually. Another wonderful thing that I love to talk about, we eat perpetually, all right? I love to eat. Eating is awesome. It's like a sport to me, Okay. I'm already thinking about lunch. We're going to cookout, I believe, this afternoon. No, I'm sorry. We're eating here at the church. Moe's Mexican Grill. Come on now. That's exciting, folks. We eat perpetually. And I know that tonight we're going to eat dinner again. And for some of us, man, three, four, five, nine, ten, twelve times a day, if you're a junior high boy, you eat. It's a great, great part of life that we do perpetually. Folks, we do what we love perpetually, don't we? We hunt perpetually. We play sports perpetually. We shop perpetually. We spend time with those that we love on a consistent basis. And my question for you this morning is, is your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, this experiential knowledge of knowing what Jesus said and knowing how Jesus lived and applying it to your lives, is that something that is ongoing in your life? 
Or is it just a thing of yesteryear? Young person, is it just something, uh, someday I'll really get serious about this, this knowing Christ thing? Or is this something that we are intent on doing today and knowing Christ in a personal and an experiential way? It's got to be perpetual that through this week, through this month, through this year, and through the remainder of our life, we are constantly getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ and living by God's grace, his life to the world. It's perpetual. Notice finally this morning with me, not only is it personal, you've got to decide this morning. You're either knowing him or you're not. There's no in between. The Bible says that double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So it's a personal priority. It's a personal pursuit. It's a perpetual pursuit. Notice finally with me this morning that it is, it is a purposeful pursuit. And I love this because don't you hate pursuing things that end up being just like pointless? <laughs> I mean, you spend all your time and all your money on something and you get to the end of the process. You're like, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> that was a waste of my money. That was a waste of my energy. But this is not like that. And the Apostle Paul outlines for us what the purpose of this pursuit really is. And first and foremost, of course, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. That I may know him. Jesus Christ. Not religion, not ritual, not money, not fame, not wealth, not a job career, not a family member. Christ. No, Christ. He is our aim. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the author of Hebrews said. That is our goal. That is what we press towards in our life. But he kind of expounds on this Christ in explaining verse 10 more of this purpose. Notice, first of all, he says that I may know him, that is Christ, and that here it is, the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. You know, we just came off of an Easter season, and I, I heard you guys had a wonderful Easter here at Open Door Baptist Church, and it's a great time to celebrate the risen Savior. Hey, if, if Christ be not raised, then our preaching and our faith and our witness is in vain. But Christ is risen. Hallelujah. He is alive. And today, we are not coming to bow down to a dead statue. We're here to serve a risen Lord. He is alive and well, and he is still on the throne. Paul says, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that is now available to you and to me. Folks, we heard a baptism this morning. And did you hear the words that the pastor said as that young man went down to the water, buried in the likeness of his death? raised to walk in newness of life. And that is, comes right from Romans chapter 6, where Paul outlines this power that's available to us. Because Christ has died and been risen again, so too shall we also rise. This is the power that's available to us over sin, over the dominion of Satan, over self. This power is available to you and to me. And I wonder today, are you living in that power? Oh, this is not a self, wealth, and health prosperity message to hear this morning. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're just struggling, because we're all struggling, right? If you're just struggling, man, just get the power. Woo! Muscle up, man. You can do it. Here's the truth. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. You can't win the battle over sin alone. That's why we need Christ. This is part of the purpose that we would overcome sin in the strength of the Lord. By knowing him. And we love to talk about this power, right? This is awesome. I mean, we're talking about dynamite power this morning. The power that is available to you and to me. But notice how Paul goes on. 
The power of his resurrection, and, and notice, the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Man, we love to talk about the power. We love to talk about the victory we can have over sins. But friends, could I remind you of what the Lord Jesus Christ said, that in this world, you will have troubles and tribulation. You are going to face hardship. You are going to face suffering. As a matter of fact, the apostle Peter, in his letter to the churches scattered abroad, he said, why are you surprised that you're encountering trials? Why is it that this is catching you off guard? You should not be surprised by difficulty, by suffering, by hardship in your life. No, this is part of the process. This is part of God's plan. And and notice this, it's amazing that not only is it suffering in this text, Paul says, well, you're gonna have to suffer. There is a fellowship that is taking place through the suffering that you are going through this morning. And it's not fellowship with a preacher. It's not fellowship with other believers. It's not fellowship with the church. It's not fellowship with your family. No, friends, it is fellowship with the very Jesus Christ who died and saved you from your sins. That's the fellowship that we share when we suffer. You remember what the Bible says? He was tempted and he endured things just like you and I endure and are tempted by, and yet he was without sin. He knows our affliction. Cast your care on him, for he careth for you. Oh, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know the difficulty that might be plaguing you and your family, whether it's a health scenario, whether it's a loss of a job, loss of a spouse, child who is straying far from God. Know with certainty that as you go through difficulty, oh, Christ is right there with you. And there is fellowship with our Savior. We can joy in that this morning. He cares for us. Could I remind you what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 1 and verse 5? He says, As the sufferings of Christ abound in us. And all God's people say, Well, yeah, <laughs> we're facing some difficulty. So our consolation, our encouragement also aboundeth by Christ. The same Christ that we share in the suffering with is the same Christ, the same Lord, the same master that brings us comfort, brings us hope through our suffering. There's fellowship, and this is part of the purpose. This is part of the point of knowing Christ. But notice, finally, this morning, not only is it the power, not only is it the suffering and the fellowship, but it is, finally, this conformity to Jesus Christ's death. Being made... An ongoing verb here, being made conformable unto his death. This is God's plan. This is God's process for you and for me that as we know the Lord Jesus Christ through the revelation of God's word, that it would change us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. That we would be transformed by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I quoted that text just a moment ago. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. You see, the the Christian life is not just meant to be added to kind of our, our good luck charms. Like, man, I hope really this thing works out. No, no, it is total life transformation. It is renewal. It is conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what that text says in Romans 8 and verse 29, that for whom he did for no, he also did press it to be conformed to the image of his dear son. And that's why all things work together for good. That is God is using every part of your life tonight, today, this morning, 
every part of it to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to conform you, to put you into the mold of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's process. It's an ongoing process. And by the way, it's not going to end until we see him face to face. And what a day, glorious day that will be. But remember what the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We don't understand all the details of the sanctification process, but we know that it is God's grace. But we also know, man, it is something that we work at. This is why it's personal. It's something that we pursue with our lives. The question is, is this something you are personally pursuing? Is it something that you are pursuing perpetually on an ongoing basis? Is it something that you are so confident of this purpose that God has for your life that you would trust him? I'll draw your attention to verse 11 this morning where Paul really culminates this whole entire process. All right, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Notice this, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. This is not an if statement of lack of confidence. Like, well, hopefully this is all, you know, for a good reason, for a good cause. And hopefully one day I'll be able to have the resurrection. No, this is a statement of confidence. Paul says, God, I know that as I know you, as you save my soul, and as I grow in my relationship with you, there is coming a day where I will too be raised from the dead. And we shall all be caught up. We will be raptured out of this place. And we will be with our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, forever and ever. And Paul says, this is what I'm pursuing. This is the goal. This is where it will all culminate. This is where it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. Friends, are you knowing Christ this morning? Is this your primary pursuit? Are you anticipating that day when your salvation will be fully realized? We are being saved this morning. For those of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a process that is taking place. But Paul says, I will attain unto the resurrection of the dead because Christ has saved us and he is saving us and growing us and sanctifying us. One day we will be raised with him. We will see him face to face. This is Paul's testimony this morning for us. That I may know him. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I believe the call to us this morning as believers is found in verse 8. And that is this. What, what thing, what is your all thing that you need to give up this morning? For Paul, it was religion. For Paul, it was ritual. For Paul, it was being a Pharisee. It was persecuting the, the church. What thing do you need to count loss this morning for the excellency of something that is so much greater, that is far more eternal than what we are seeing and feeling and touching right now? What is it that you need to give up in your life? What are the all things that maybe a month, a year down the, the road, you'll be able to look back and say, oh, I count my fill in the blank, my all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Would to God that we would get on our face this morning. We would come open and bear before him and say, Lord, search me, know me, try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We would purge our loves, and we would get serious about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?
believe as we conclude this morning, it'd be appropriate for us to have an opportunity to respond to the text that we've looked at. Firstly, may I just say to you who are in here, do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This process that we've discussed has not begun in you yet. If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you have never been what the Bible calls being born again, you've never been saved from your sins, let me just encourage you to think seriously this morning about your relationship with God. You're not born into this world with a relationship with God. You are born into this world as an enemy of God, the Bible says. And your sin now separates you from a holy God. Your lying, your cheating, your stealing, your lust, your anger separates you from a holy and a righteous God. He is just and he will punish sin. One day that will look like eternal separation in an awful place called hell. And the only solution according to the Bible, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the first step in this knowing Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you do not know with 100% certainty that you are on your way to heaven, that you would get that settled this morning before you walk out of this building. But the primary call for us this morning is to the believer. To those of us who have called on the name of Christ to save our souls. And Christian, I just want to ask you this morning, is this pursuit that we've discussed, this personal, this perpetual pursuit, something that you personally are making a habit and a discipline of your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you in his word? Are you on your knees? Are you applying the truth of scripture that you hear from this pulpit, that you read on your own? You're being instructed of by others. Is this pursuit your pursuit? If you're here this morning, you'd say, Micah, in one of these areas, this personal pursuit, this perpetual pursuit, this prioritized pursuit, this, this purposeful pursuit, God is speaking to my heart this morning. I need to do business with God. If that's you today, would you just quietly slip your hand up into the air? If that's you today, God, Micah is speaking to my heart this morning. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, today in these, this moment of invitation and quietness and stillness before you, we, we acknowledge our need. We acknowledge our dependence on you. And Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning. Change us. Conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do a work that only you can do for your glory's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name. If you just stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, my wife is just going to play a quiet hymn of invitation. And you in your seat on this altar, do business with the Lord. Renew this commitment, Christian. What is it that's more important than our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? What, what's taking first place in our lives? Who is on the throne? Oh, would God revive our hearts today? Would he renew us? Turn our eyes on Jesus.
Father, this morning we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift you have given to us. And your love and your mercy sending Christ to this world to die for our sins, to be buried and to raise again, to save our souls. But beyond that, Lord, we praise you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. The life that he lived, the perfect life, the sinless life that he, he lived here on this earth that we now look at as our ideal, as our example, as the life that we ought to have lived through us. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that we would remember the words of Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and make that our primary pursuit and our highest priority, even in this week that we're about to live. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, I'll turn it back to you. Amen.